Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, overflowing with gratitude. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, based on human tradition, based on the elemental forces of the world, and not based on Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him, who is ahead over every ruler and authority. You were also circumcised in him, with a circumcision not done with hands, by putting off the body of flesh, in the circumcision of the Messiah. Having been buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with his obligations that against us and opposed us. He has taken it out by nailing it on the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, Lord, we offer you praise today. With our voices, we lift you up and praise your name. Thank you for today, Lord. This is the day that you've given us. It's a gift from you. And we just celebrate, Lord, your good work in each of our lives. As we come now to your word, we pray the power of your spirit to make your word come alive in our hearts and lives today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As I said earlier, my name is Russell, and if you're new or visiting with us today, I serve as lead pastor here at Philpot, and it's a pleasure to welcome you. Thank you for your uh, patience with us today as we've uh, got everyone down below this morning. Uh, thank you for cooperating with us, and uh, there are still some cheap seats available here at the very front. Um, and so if, if you're still standing, if you want to come down and walk towards the front, I know you're dying to do that. There are some seats here, uh, seats here in the front. It's good to be here. Yeah, I'm sure in a, in a room like this, there are any number of unfinished projects represented. And uh, I'm sorry if I'm drawing attention to that and maybe you're sitting next to someone and they have this little greasy grin on their face. Yeah, unfinished products. We have all kinds of unfinished projects. And some of us have, have uh, a different problem. Some of us have problem starting projects. And then others of us have problem finishing projects. And I don't know what camp you fall in, but I'm sure in this gathering there are any number of unfinished projects. I have problem with projects in general because I am, I am not a handyman by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and so, unfinished projects. And so, we're, we're, we're being drawn into a text this morning that speaks to this in, in some way. Uh, last week, we began a journey through the book in the Bible called Philippians. A Philippian uh, was a person who lived in the ancient city of Philippi, and, and we have in our Bible a letter that was written to the church the Apostle Paul helped start in this ancient city. Last week, we went to Acts chapter 16 because it's there we kind of read how this church began. And we discovered that the start of this church was centered around three narratives, three coming-to-faith stories. Uh, 
There's the story of Lydia, uh, a, a, a merchant, a business lady. And the scripture says that God opened up her, up, opened up her mind, her, her eyes, to, her ears to, to see and understand what Paul was saying to her. There's, there was the story of a, a young psychic uh, who, who came to saving faith in Jesus, we, we believe. And then, and then the jailer, uh, there's that account of, of, of this, this jailer falling down before, uh, before Paul and, and saying, you know, what must I do to be saved? And so he and his family come to saving faith, and the Scripture says they're baptized. And so around 10 years later, most likely, Paul writes a letter to this church, and in our Scripture reading today, he has, I think, a very encouraging message that God is both a starter and a finisher. And that the good work that God began in their lives, God will continue to grow that and see that through to its proper finish. So we're turning in Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 8. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. May God bless the reading of, of his word. The term, the term saints that we read there is maybe a curious way for Paul to describe the Philippian believers. But the term was, uh, in fact, Paul's common way of referring to Christians. What, what do you think of when you hear the word saint? Do you view yourself as a saint? Do you, do you think you're, you're a saint? How, how do people become saints? Well, we often think of, of the term saint as describing some exceptional degree of, of holiness or, or a, a title that's granted to someone who's lived a supremely virtuous life. We often think, of course, in our context that it, someone is, is, is given the designation of a saint after their, after their death. And maybe they're formally recognized by, by a church in some manner after they've died. 
Well, it's interesting that Paul, writing to the people who make up the church at Philippi, says, you're saints right now. You, you are saints. And we should also note that Paul does not equate being a saint with, with performance, with, with how they, they live. A little later on in this letter, we're going to be introduced to two leaders who, who Paul kind of calls out publicly because they're having some sort of, of public feud that's impacting the church. If, if you turn to another, another book in our Bible called 1 Corinthians, you'll note that that church was just a mess had all kinds of things going on in that church, but yet Paul referred to them as saints, fellow saints. And so how and why does Paul refer to the Philippians as saints? Well, they're saints because that they are in Christ Jesus. They are saints because of their, their union with Jesus. By the operation of grace, a Christian is brought into a new and living union with God by faith in the person and work of Jesus. And so when, when we place our trust in Christ, we experience a change of position. Our, our position refers to our, our standing with God. Are we guilty or not? Are we debtors or free? Are we sinners or saints? And in his goodness and by his grace, God changes our standing, our position, when we place our trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sin. When we trust in Jesus, we're given a new status, a new position that flows out of the riches of God's grace. And so we might describe our new position as being reconciled to God, redeemed, brought near, forgiven. We, we, we become the adopted sons and daughters of God. We, we become saints in Christ. And so our new position, our new standing is not the result of anything we have done, but it re, it's the result of our new life in Christ. We just baptized St. Russell this morning. It, 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 this title, Paul refers to believers as saints because it describes for him God's work in each of our lives. That our new position in Christ now is, is perfect and totally secure. And so Paul says, to all the saints who are in Philippi. And I think as he, as he writes that, he's thinking of, he's thinking of Lydia. And he's thinking of, of that young girl, and he's thinking of the jailer and his family, and he's thinking about all of these people and, and more. They, they, they had a change of position. You see, these folk woke up one morning positioned in the kingdom of darkness, separated from God, condemned because of their sin, but by grace they went to bed as the adopted sons and daughters of God, positioned in Christ Jesus, saints of God through Jesus. And, and, and so we say, well, God, you know, give us more of these kinds of experiences. 
So Paul is writing to people who have been transformed by God's grace who live at Philippi. He's writing to the people of God in a specific location. And so in this sense, we might say that these believers live in two places. They live in Christ, but are also at Philippi. They are in Christ, they live in Christ, but also at Philippi. They are, they are being reminded that they are God's holy people in that city. And then he says in verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so our new life in Christ in our Philippi flows out of our common experience of grace and peace from God our Father provided by Christ our Lord. And so grace to you. Paul says, God's grace, God's work in us to bring about what we could not do on our own. And this grace is given as a gift. And what results from this gift of grace is the experience of peace. Personal experience of supernatural peace in our inner life. It's a quiet calm during life's raging storms. Grace and peace. Henry Nouwen um, said this, that spiritual life is not a life before, after, or beyond our everyday existence. It is lived in the here and now. And so, friends, our spiritual life is, is animated through an active, dynamic meditative participation in the life of our crucified and ascended Lord. Our, 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 our spiritual lives are animated uh, as, as we experience this, this grace and peace that comes from God. And then look at verses 3 to 5. So Paul says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul remembers the church at Philippi with a great deal of affection. Uh, down in verse 8, he says, you know, for God is, as is my witness how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. In verse 7, Paul says that he held the Philippians in his heart. And so we know that Paul had such warm affection for these believers that, that flows out of this deep gospel partnership. And so when Paul says, I think of, when I think of you, I'm stirred to pray for you. In fact, remembering for Paul, remembering stirs, stirs thanksgiving, which prompts prayer, offered with joy. And so whenever he thinks of Lydia, whenever he thinks of the jailer and the others, he's prompted to pray for them. Don't, don't ignore the fact that throughout the course of your day, there may be people who come to your mind. Throughout the course of your week, there will be people who will, who will come to your mind. And I think we're encouraged to follow this paradigm, if you will, of, of spirituality for Paul. That when Paul thought of these people that were precious to him, remembering them prompted thanksgiving for them, which then stirred prayer for them, 
which was all done out of a deep appreciation for them and joy. And so don't, don't, don't just rush by those experiences this week when, when all of a sudden in the middle of your day, someone comes to your mind. I had that experience this week. Someone just called very quickly and said, thought of you, just wanted to know I just prayed for you. Don't, don't, just, don't just walk by those experiences. Have, 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 do what Paul does here. May remembrance stir thanksgiving, which prompts prayer all done in joy. And so we have this paradigm. But, but you know, I, I was thinking about that, and, and we know from, from Acts 16 from last week that not everything that happened to Paul at Philippi was good. I mean, he had some tough experiences. And so this verse, as I was just reading and rereading this text earlier this week, it, it just gave me some pause as I, I started to think about how do we remember with thanksgiving and joy unhappy experiences? You know, how do we look back upon times in our lives that were just plain unhappy and, and tough? How do we look back upon people and circumstances that, 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 were, that were hurtful and we, we still today look back and there's this, this tension? So I, I was thinking about that and just thinking about my own life, reflecting upon situations that, that were anything but happy. And, I, and I, I thought of a few things that I think helps us in this regard. First thing is I think we have to trust God's grace. We, we have to trust that God's grace is sustaining us. As we remember tough situations, we look back and, and just believe that God's grace was seeing us through. Believing that, that God is at work in our lives in ways that we cannot see. That God is at work in ways in which we cannot understand. And sometimes it's not till we look back that we can see how God's grace was working in our lives. Second thing I, I, I thought of is that we have to reject bitterness. You know, we, we have to refuse to drink the bitter cup. And that, and that, can, be, that can be tough, but we, we've, got to make, we've got to make that choice. And the third thing I, I thought of is that, you know, you need a circle. In other words, you, you, need, you need a group of people. You need people in your life who, who can help you work through those painful memories and work through uh, that stuff. That circle probably needs to be small. And you know, when I came out of the other side of some of my own personal experiences, I, I, I made a choice that I was only going to tell my experience to people who I was in relationship before the event happened. Because you'll often find that when you go through something tough, all of a sudden everyone wants to know and everyone wants to be a friend. But have people in your life who you can go to and who you trust and you can offload with. The other thing I thought of is that, you know, it's important to, to have an established rhythm of spiritual disciplines. Before, before that, that tragedy happens, before that, that, that season of difficulty comes, it is going to benefit you if you already have an established rhythm of spiritual discipline. That you're entering into that tough time with this with this. This, this, this rhythm of, of, of the grace of God at work in your life. 
And then I think it's to receive the gift of a new perspective. And I think what gives you a new perspective, it just boils down to God's grace working in your life over the passing of time. And oftentimes when you come out the other side, you're able to look back and just see with, with fresh eyes, see how God was leading and what God has done. I, I would suggest to you that the most formative seasons of my life have been the most difficult seasons in the context of personal pain and hurt. And in the moment, it's tough to see the goodness and grace of God, and often it's only when you look back can you see God's mercy and grace following you and chasing you. And so Paul thinks of the Philippians, he thinks of the people, he thinks of his experience there, the good and the bad, and he offers thanksgiving and prayer. And we note in verse 5 that Paul is especially grateful for their partnership in the gospel. And we'll say more about that in weeks to come, but quite simply, partnership here is best viewed as a participation in the spread of the gospel itself in every possible way. Well, we come to verse 6, and this is, a, this is a very precious verse for a lot of people, and we'll spend the rest of our time together here at this verse where Paul now comes and says, you know, I, I, I have this remembrance of you, and I, I pray for you, and and I'm celebrating our partnership, our participation in the gospel. And he says, I am sure of this. I am confident in this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. I'm, I'm sure of this, Lydia. I'm, I'm sure, Lydia, that that the good work that God began in you down by the riverside, when, when God first opened up your eyes to understand what I was saying to you, Lydia, I am certain that that good work God is going to see through to completion. So our text reminds us that our God is a a starter and a finisher, that our God finishes what he starts. And we have, we have pictured here in this verse the, the unstoppable grace of God. And Paul offers thanksgiving for the partnership of the Philippians and now expresses complete confidence that the work God began in them would be completed. I think the particular work God began is the work of grace through the gospel, in the hearts and lives of these Philippians. And I also think that, that this verse has individual and corporate application. And, and, and I think there's no doubt Paul is reflecting upon God's saving work in, 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 in Lydia and, and, and the others and the jailer and his family. But God's good work of grace in each of these individual people was part and parcel of God's great work at Philippi. And Paul is reminding these people that God's sovereign initiative and faithfulness would see them through to the end. I was, I was just 10 years old when I had this first 
keen awareness in my life that I needed to trust Jesus for salvation. That was the first time I, 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 I just felt God working in my life in such a way that I needed to trust him for salvation. From that point, I've been brought to this present moment. It has been a journey filled with many things because, as you know, life is a package deal. And I've been brought to this moment, and I have every confidence, friends, that God is going to finish his good work of grace in my life. But I want you to understand that my confidence is not in myself. My confidence is not in my goodness. My confidence is not in my character or my ability or my moral purity. My complete confidence is in God. My confidence is in God's ability to save and to transform and to keep. And as I look back over my life, I realize that it is not my grip on God that has made the difference in my life, but it's God's grip on me. God has you held, and God never lets go. Um, I, don't, uh, I don't much like middle spaces. That's probably apparent why I wouldn't like middle spaces. I don't like the middle seat on an airplane. Does anyone here choose the middle seat? If you do, God bless you. I... I, I, I I get all kinds of feelings when I look at that middle seat on an airplane. I did a lot of traveling last year, and one of the first things I did was always go and, and, and make sure I wasn't going to get stuck in the middle seat. <laughs> Ever travel in the back seat of a car with three people? You, you don't want to be in the middle. We, we still have fights to this day. Thankfully, I'm, most, I'm driving most, so... But we still have fights to our day. Who's going to get stuck in the middle? You know, even, even when I go to a, to a coffee shop, I, I first looked for a corner. I, I, want, I want to get in a corner somewhere. I, I, just, I just don't want to be out in that, in, that, in that middle space. When I think of the middle space, I'm reminded that we're all in the middle of something. We're all in process. And in our text, we have two poles. We have, we have a starting point and a finishing point. And so God began a good work, and all of history is moving towards what Paul says, describes as the day of the Lord. All of history is, is moving to, to, to God's new world. When God is going to make all things new. And I think what we have pictured here, are, there, there's two theological terms that I think we can, we can look to here this morning in this text. They are justification and glorification. And so justification refers to our starting point. And justification says, you know, I'm not what I used to be. 
I mean, aren't you, aren't you glad for that? that? That you're not what you used to be. And, 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 and as we are justified, we are declared to be righteous because Christ's record counts for us. And, and you know what? That Jesus lived a perfect life on our behalf. And so we are declared to be God's son and daughter. And at the starting point of God's work of grace, we realize I'm not what I used to be. But then there's another, there's the finish point in this text, which refers to, we refer to as glorification. And so while I'm not what I used to be, I'm not what I will be. You see, right now, you know, I have been declared righteous because of Jesus' work, but there is a day coming when I will actually be righteous. You know? There's a day coming when we're going to live in God's new world, free from, 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 from the sin that, that you know, has a way of dragging us down. And so we're going, to, we're, we're going to be righteous one day. So that means that we live in the middle. And it's this middle space that we often refer to as sanctification. And it's this middle space that refers to our spiritual growth. We're in the middle. We are not what we were. We're not what we're going to be. But we are in the middle. But even here in the middle, God is changing us more and more and more. But let's be real, that in this middle space, there's often a great struggle. Galatians talks about two natures at work in Galatians chapter 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. I think it's helpful for us to think of the Spirit as our renewed Christian heart, made new by the Spirit. And our sinful nature, our flesh, as Paul says, is that part of us telling us to live our own life without depending upon God. And we need to understand that the sin-desiring aspect of our being was in us ruling alone and unopposed before we became Christians. But then the Spirit entered our lives supernaturally as we placed our faith in the gospel, and now we're being shaped every day into the image of Jesus. But, but we acknowledge that the process is difficult. And sometimes that process of transformation can be filled with doubt and, and a lack of assurance because of our tendency to view our standing before God as based on how well we perform. Um, I, I first came across this illustration from Benjamin Shaw, a professor of Hebrew and Old Testament history, who uh, talked about repentance as a man walking in one direction who suddenly realizes that he's walking in the opposite direction from which he should be walking. And so he's walking, and he, he stops, uh, he turns around and begins walking in the other, in the new direction. It's a quick and simple process. He realizes, he stops, 
and he turns. Now, imagine someone on a bicycle realizing that he's going in the wrong direction. In, in one sense, it's still obvious. He stops, he turns around, he begins b- bicycling in, in the new direction, but it's a bit of a longer process. He has to come to a stop. Depending on his speed, that may take some time. The turning around also takes a little bit longer, and it takes longer to get up to full speed in the new direction. The process is the same for a man in a car, but it takes longer than for the man on the bike, and it may require going somewhat out of his way before he gets back on the right track. The process is the same for a man in a speedboat. He has to slow down, enter the turn, and come back. But the time and distance required to do so is much longer than what was required by the man walking. Now, imagine the man is piloting a super tanker. It takes him miles to slow the ship down enough to even begin to make the turn. The turn itself is immense, taking him quite a distance from his intended course. And then, again, it also takes a large amount of time to get up to full speed in the new direction. Now, apply, apply the, the images to repentance. Some sins are small and easy, and we stop and we walk the other way. Some sins, like the bicycle, are a little more difficult. In God's work in the believer, he takes a little time to bring the believer to awareness that his course is actually a sinful one. And then there is the process of coming to a stop and the process of the turn itself and the process of getting to, to up to speed and faithfulness. But some sins are enormous. We, we may not be aware that they really are sins at first. Or they may be so deeply ingrained in us that we're not willing at first to recognize them as sins. God works patiently with us, carefully slowing us down as the captain does with the ship so that he can bring us through the turn and into the new direction where he can bring us up to a full speed again. I want us to understand that God works in us over time. And I would suggest to you that the awareness of sin and desire to change comes gradually. And God brings us, as it were, to a full stop slowly and carefully. There are going to be many slips and falls along on the way to that stopping point. And the second thing has to do with the turning itself. In the image of the ship turning... There's a long time when the ship is neither on the old course nor on the new course, but seemingly dead in the water. And so it may well be in the life of a believer. The sin has been admitted. The slips and falls have gotten fewer. But there seems to be little progress. We seem to be dead in the water. But at that point, we are, we are in the turn. Speed will pick up. Godliness will grow. But it will do so slowly as God, again, 
patiently works with us, transforming us. Friends, I want to encourage you that if you have prayed for repentance for some particular sin and there's been no instantaneous change, keep praying. God has promised to work and God will work and you will be glad in the end that he did it slowly and carefully. What often happens though is that in this process of change we sometimes lack confidence and assurance. We, we have a tendency to, to doubt how secure we are in, in God as we struggle to, to, to work out our salvation. Paul reminds these believers that they were partakers of grace with him. And he says, I have every confidence that the good work of grace that God began in you, God will see that through to completion. And I want to encourage you who are here today and you have trusted in Christ and perhaps life is a bit of a tough sled lately. Maybe you're struggling uh, with, with sin or struggling with all kinds of issues in your life to the point where you even begin to doubt whether or not you are saved. Friends, the work that God began in you, God has promised to see through to completion. And friends, at times when you feel like you are losing your grip on God, I want you to understand that in those times, it is God who has his grip on you. God has you safely in his arms. He will finish the work that he started in all of us. And we can have confidence and assurance that throughout our life journey, God will not abandon us. God is not finished with us. There will be times, there will be times in your Christian life when you will grow in leaps and in bounds. Other times, your spiritual growth will seem like a crawl and there will be times when it will feel like you've bottomed out. But in those tough times, don't doubt your salvation for one moment. Don't doubt the good work God has started. God will complete the work he started. You didn't earn salvation by your behavior, and you can't unearn it by your behavior. God is at work in each of our lives. And my encouragement to you as we finish up and as we move to communion this morning, my encouragement to you is celebrate the leaps in growth, plow through the crawls, but don't settle to stay there. You don't have to live with the crawl. The Spirit of God supernaturally entered your life by faith. And the Spirit is working in you, giving you new desires. And he is also empowering you to work that out this morning. And so let us hear, let us hear Paul writing to us as the saints of God here at, at Philpot. 
the saints of God here in, in Hamilton. And, 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 may, and may we hear Paul say to us that I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I, I, I love that verse in Hebrews chapter 10 where, where the scripture says, by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. As, as we work out our salvation, as we grow in grace, as we deal with the sin that each of us has to deal with, let us be reminded that, that we stand perfect before him because of Christ. That nothing can, 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 can change that fact. We are perfect before God because of Christ. Even as we are working out all of the things that need to be worked out. As we, as we work those things out. When, 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 when our spiritual life seems to come to a crawl. We are safely held by God our Father. Let's stand, shall we, together? Take a moment, shall, you, shall we, and just reflect upon the goodness and grace of God. Maybe we can close our eyes together as we hold these symbols of God in our hands. We, we just quietly reflect and offer thanks. We, we thank God for this good work that He began in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for the good work of grace that you have begun. These emblems remind us of your broken body, blood you shed, opening up this new and a living way for us so that we might be redeemed, we might become your children. Lord, we thank you for that. And Lord, as you begun, as you have begun this good work in our lives, we have every confidence that you're going to see this good work through to its completion. <laughs> Lord, you're going to bring us safely home. And along the way, Lord, you're going to continue to grow us and transform us more into the image of your Son. Lord, our, our confidence does not rest in our ability to, to do all the right things. Our, our confidence is not in our ability to perform. Our confidence is in you. It's entirely upon you and your good work of grace. And so, Lord, we hold these emblems in our hands and we thank you. We thank you for saving and keeping grace. We're thankful, Lord, that you have your grip on us. Thank you that in the tough times of our lives, Lord, when it feels like we're losing our grip, thank you that by your grace you have us held firmly in your grip. Thank you, Lord, that there's no power of hell nor scheme of man that could ever pluck us from your hands. Thank you for your grace. Once a month we gather together as people of God who've been transformed by God's grace and we, we 
hold these things in our hands just reminds us of Christ's saving work. We do this because Jesus has instructed us to remember. And by remembering, we give thanks. We do so with joy because of the victory that Christ has won. And let me say that if there are those here in this place today and, and, and you have not yet come into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, I, I want you to know that everything that, has, that was needed to be done for you to come into this saving knowledge has been done. That the only thing that is left for you to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that's the beauty of the gospel. Christ has done the work. And so we, by faith, believe in, in what Jesus has done. And so you can have one of these experiences like Lydia. You, you, you may have woke up this morning not a believer in Jesus, not transformed by his spirit, but now in this moment by believing, you can come into a new position, a new standing with God, an adopted child of his. Why? All because of the work of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you minister to us in our brokenness, Lord. Bind up broken hearts, Lord, in this place this morning. Amen. Amen. Can we sing another verse and go into that bridge one more time this morning of that song just before we close in prayer together as we just again celebrate and rejoice in God's gift of grace. You know, I've got more good news. Lunch is provided for you. I mean, we're just full of good news today. And so you're, you're invited to stay. Say hello to Russell, the other Russell, and congratulate him. And it'd be great to mingle with him out in the, in the atrium today. Lead us in just a verse and maybe go into that bridge and let's let's sing it out this morning as we as we close.
and let's pray together. And as we leave this morning, if there are those here you'd like for someone to pray with you and for you, there are people here uh, at the front of the auditorium who will be glad to pray for you. And, uh, and so if you'd like someone to pray with you, please come, come forward and find someone who has a, a pink lanyard there. They'll be scattered throughout the front here, and we'll be glad to pray with you and for you this morning. And so, Lord, we thank you for your work of grace. We thank you, Lord, that you have paid it all. We thank you that you're working in each of our lives and that you will, the good work that you began, you will complete. We give you praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.